0: Okay, so last week um, we diverted pretty much and talked more about dealing with um,
1: uh,
0: how, we, how we relate to Hashem and tefillah during difficult times, Tfila when tfila's don't seem like they're being heard. So that, was, that is appropriate to an introduction to Shimon Asri. I think very much so. Um, especially in light of Rav Hirsch's definition of the purpose of tefillah, which was, The purpose of tefillah is the elevation of the thinking, feeling, and desiring inner being of man to a state of being worthy of getting near to God and his benevolence. So it's an avoda inside of us that it becomes the purpose of tefillah, not, not what is answered. That's God's will. And that's what we're seeking to align ourselves with. Can you Good morning. That, the purpose Good morning.
1: Of yes.
0: And it's probably online and it's probably, it we'll be, I'm sure, referring back to it often. The purpose of tefillah is the elevation of the thinking. Feeling and desiring inner being of man. Thinking, feeling
1: and desiring
0: to a state of being worthy of getting near to God and his benevolence. Sure, I'll tear it out and you can read from it. <laughs> it's not gonna we it's worth hearing many times, but it's also worth moving on, so okay. Okay. So in starting to understand, so there's going to be a lot of these little quotes from Rev Hirsch. Number one, because he is amazing at taking, I don't know, it's like an encyclopedic knowledge of everything, and, so, and then being able to take that and distill it into what the key objectives are. So we're going to hear a lot about that, especially today, in talking about an introduction to Shmona Esri, it's sort of a little bit belated introduction to Shemona Esray because we keep having reasons to jump forward or jump back. We talked about some of the halachos in advance because it was Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, but this is officially introduction to Shmona Esri. So listen listen to this description because, of course, our tefillahs, tefillah, Keneged, thank you, tefillahs, meet him. T- uh, takanum. The tefillah comes in the place and to fulfill the purpose of the korban tamid, right? Or not only the korban tamid. Actually, we have tefillahs for all the different korbanos. Each each korban has become reborn as a tefillah only because we don't have the korban to go with the tefillah. I think the tefillahs existed alongside the korbanos for very <laughs> thousands of years, but without karbanos, so now we have the tefillahs alone. <laughs> and, um, and so when we want to understand the purposes of tefillah, we look not only at the tefillah, we look also at the, so at the korban that it goes with. So here's a quote. It's about tefillah, but it's rehearsed talking about korbanos. In Ola, Chatas, Asham, and Shlamim, which are the fundamental types of korban, both the individual and the community laid upon God's altar their whole being, their spiritual mission, that's the Ola, I'm just pointing out, because again, he doesn't always break it down again, what he just said. He just said the Ola, the Chatas, the Asham, and the Shlamim. We lay upon God's altar their whole being, Their spiritual mission, their past life with all its errors and faults. Those, I believe, are the chatas and the asham. And, sorry, the greatest benevolence of the bounties received. So that's a shlamim, where you receive bounty, you eat from the shlamim, but you give it to also to the mizbeach and to the kohanim. So the greatest bounties of the greatest benevolence of the bounties received and the fortune granted for undisturbed preservation. This is what we lay upon God's altar. Who we are, what our purpose is, what our past is. It's sort of like our present, our past, our future. We've seen that kind of pattern before. And recognizing that it is all from Hashem, and to Hashem. There's also a topic we've covered. In Parsha's Yisro, Yisro, the Torah says, I'll read Rav Hirsch's translation of it since we're using his commentary to it. An altar of earth shalt thou make unto me, and you shall sacrifice upon it. Sacrifice, I mean, this is the word that they've used translating from his German translation, but uh, doesn't mean to give up anything. It doesn't have that. It's a practical term. Is like to, to shecht a korban. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't mean to sacrifice with the term, as in the American meaning of sacrifice, where it's an emotional state that you're giving something up and now you don't have it and you would have preferred to have it, but you're giving it away. That's not, means to slaughter for the purpose of a korban.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's not, it doesn't have that other connotation es olosecha, your olos, korbanos, which elevate, and olah, la'alot, is to go up, the shlamecha, and your shlamim offerings, which shlamim, shalem, right, complete, whole, we've talked about shalom as the, um, the, I, the greater whole, greater than the sum of its dis, dis separate parts, es tsoncha, your sheep ve es Bekarecha, and your oxen ha-makom asher azkir es shemi in every place where i will cause my name to be remembered avo elecha i shall come unto you uverachticha and i will bless you okay so in his commentary to this pasuk i'm just going to excerpt a little piece he defines the different, it's an astonishing thing, Rav Hirsch defines the different carbonos and what they achieve. So for example, Mizbeach Adoma, an altar of earth, it has to be directly and immediately from the earth. There can't be a gap in between. And he says, so what does that mean? That Hashem is saying the Mizbeah has to be Mizbeach Adoma, made of earth, and like organically reaching upward out of the earth. There can't be a gap. It can't be the Mizbeach is separate from the earth. The Mizbeach is Mizbeach Adoma. A Mizbeach, that's the word zevach, right? I was just trying to say like vizavachta. A Mizbeach is that upon which the offering is brought. Mizbeach Adoma means it is a Mizbeach of the earth. So the earth itself reaches up towards God. That is the expression of a Mizbeach Adoma. It's rising up from the earth. It is not heaven. It is earth that is raised up to God, which is to be in our minds when we wish to step near to God. That's the philosophy of life. That's the philosophy of life. Not disconnect yourself from everything earthly. You draw close to God when you are alive in this world by reaching up and raising up from the earth toward the heaven, not from the heaven down toward the earth. That's, that's astonishing. I mean, it's only not astonishing maybe because we've heard refresh before. <laughs> this, is, this permeates throughout all of his commentary. He says, on this Mizbeach Adama, meaning on this platform, which is the earth, rising up and us raising it up, we dedicate... In olos, our active life, action, doing, making, constructing, progressing, because ole means to go up, so that's striving upward. In our shlomim, our enjoying, our passive life, to the endeavor to get nearer up to God, because when you enjoy, it's a receiving, right? You sit back, you put your feet up. Right? This is the difference in, in usability between leaning in and leaning back. So both of these are going to be an endeavor to get nearer to God. Whether we feel our position in life to be a modest one, son, or in the consciousness of the most free independence like Bakar. And Rav Hirsch has a whole approach throughout Torah where the different descriptions of different animals are describing the the it's not it's not even strange once you realize that's what he's doing are describing the key characteristics of those animals so a par has a certain characteristic it has it, it's steady and working and happiest steadily working and there are donkeys and they have a different kind of characteristic and there are sheep and they have a different kind of characteristic and there and each of these that is what is When a korban is supposed to be from a certain animal, that is because it is that characteristic that is important to that korban. That's the state of mind within ourselves that we need to be working with. Okay, so in this case, he's saying white zone and bakar, he's saying the contrast here is between the modest and the fiercely independent. Wherever I will azkir es I will mention my name, I will cause my name to be recognized. In other words, where I wish to announce my special presence so that people will say, Hashem Shama, God is there. There you will not have to look for me in images, you will recognize me in the blessing I will dispense to you. And he brings how in many, many cases this is the meaning of God's name being mentioned or recognized, is where God is recognized in our life through the bracha that he provides. Okay, all of this serves to help us understand the previous paragraph in Ola, Chatas, Asham and Shlamim, both the individual and the community laid upon God's altar their whole being, their spiritual mission, their past life with all its errors and faults, the greatest benevolence of the bounties received and the fortune granted for undisturbed preservation. The Mizbeach Adama, as Rav Hirsch is describing it. I'm sorry,
1: what is a Mizbeach Adama. I never heard of that term before.
0: It's a puzzle. And,
1: and the Chumash, that's what it calls it. Yes,
0: in Parshus Yisrael Parachav Pazokhav Alev. Mizbeach Adama Tasili. Make for me an, uh, a Mizbeach of earth. Is that
1: the Mizbeach that we That's the Mizbeach. the
0: Mizbeach, yeah. The Mizbeach. I didn't know. Okay. Now, elsewhere, oh, we'll come to this, okay, but also elsewhere, in Rav Hirsch's writings, and so you're getting like a selection from a lot of different places, but I think they come together to form a picture here, which if I were insightful enough, I could probably see it all in any one of these places, but since he chooses to elaborate on different aspects of it in different places, I need all the different parts to try and get a grasp of it. So in Khoreb, he writes, In the tumult of life, you may have forgotten the thought and the overwhelming feeling of the one and only God through whom everything is and beside whom there was, will be, and is nothing. He alone and nobody else is the grantor and master of your life. In tefillah, once again allow yourself to be infused by the thought that there is only one God to whom all belongs and through whom all is. I'm just going to like pause there to start to, un- to see how he's referring to the level of tefillah as being the level of de melvado, <clears throat> which we've mentioned before, that this is somehow where we've been headed all this time in building up and building up. And in, in Kriya it was the, the love and the intimacy of just me and Hashem, but that now we're moving into a recognition that it's all Hashem, okay? So in Fila, once again, allow yourself to be infused by the thought that there is only one God to whom all belongs and through whom all is. That was also that kliyakar at the end of the Torah that we talked about on, on Srinayat Saras. Everything around you is a house of God, a choir of divine servants, who altogether serve the one and only God. So now, understanding this earth that we are standing upon, this is the Mizbeach Doma that is rising up to draw close to God, is seeing the world as a choir of divine servants all reaching upward to serve one and only God, to whom all belong and who is master of all. Above all, you must realize that you too belong to that body of divine servants. You, above all, Israel's son and Israel's daughter, have been summoned to the highest service of God to fulfill God's teaching in your life. Elsewhere, he indicates that you can have an alternative reading to Mizbeach Adom Okay, over here he's talking about Tfilah, not, It's not the commentary to that pasuk. Mizbeach Adom make... Make for me a Mizbeach Adama. What's Adama? What's the Mizbeach Adama? It's man. God created man out of the earth. It's in humanity, it's in us as people that the earth rises up from earth to reaching towards Hashem. So all of this universe that is surrounding us, most of which we can't even see, because just the physical world itself is too big for us to comprehend You rely on your back and look at a star and try thinking about how far it's, you can't. There is no scale. It doesn't, even if you watch those cute videos that keep moving in like according to a 10 times logarithm, which is also impossible to deal with. Meaning if every, every step is another 10x, it doesn't, it's difficult to know what to do with that even after you go to two or three levels, like, because the scale itself is changing. This is the highest, this is being summoned to fulfill God's teaching in your life. L'hiz palel, so what does it mean? That's the word to pray, right? Lehit palel. Elsewhere in Choreb, to judge oneself, Lehit palel, because plilim are judgments or judges, to attempt to gain a true judgment of oneself. Thus, it denotes to step out of active life. That's what we referred to like Yom Kippur time, right? You put your feet together so they don't walk. You put your hands together so they're not really active. Maybe, maybe close our eyes. I mean, we shut down the active life. We're no longer, during Shmona Eswe, we're not man who is a holy. We become more like the malach who is an umid, right? We we step out of active life in order to attempt to gain a true judgment about oneself. That is, about one's ego, about one's relationship to God and the world, and of God and the world to oneself. It strives to infuse mind and heart. So this is now... um, he's starting to refer to the influence from the top down. These last few years, we've been consistently working our way up a ladder, knowing that somewhere we're going to work our way back down a ladder. <laughs> right? So we're not quite ready to start working our way down the ladder because we we haven't even quite started Sharan Ashtray yet. But nonetheless, the peak is in sight, and... So we're going to start to see the indicators of how what happens here comes back with us. So far, we've built up from the body to the emotion, to the heart, and, and, um, and to the mind. And each time to carry each part of it with us upward so that we're bringing, as he said, the elevation of the thinking, feeling, and desiring being into our Shmona Esrei. But over here, he's also telling us that tefillah strives to infuse mind and heart with the power of such judgment that what happens in Shemona Esrei is going to affect, back down the mind and the heart as will direct both anew, both the mind and the heart anew, to active life. That's the Asiya. That's the doing. That's the physical. Purified, sublimated, strengthened. This is all incredible. These are like, <laughs> you couldn't do this, I think, without a few years of, of other. Uh, I don't remember exactly what it was. was, was going to stick it in. Okay. I got another one for you. In life itself, I, I hope, I hope you find them helpful. I mean, I, to me, they just, each one, they're, they're saying the same and they're also building together and creating an entire different view of something that maybe I don't understand exactly what's at the core, but by having different slices of view from different angles, I can start to get a concept of what it means to me at least. In life itself, you do not gather strength for living, nor in the practice of truth, righteousness and love. Do you absorb the recognition and the feeling for truth, righteousness and love? Meaning, it's not in the action itself that you get the strength for the action. It's not by doing mitzvos that you necessarily have the strength for the mitzvos. It's not by practicing truth, righteousness, and love that you get the feeling for the truth, righteousness, and love. You might. I don't know. He seems to say you're not. Accordingly, I believe what he's saying here is that when you're doing mitzvos, and we've all had this experience, you can be doing the right things and knowing they're the right things, and you can find that they're draining you, and they're sucking the life out of you. And you may love them and you may want to do them and you may still feel that they're draining you of energy. Where do you get the energy coming back in, right? On Shabbos, you have, let's say, half an hour after Shabbos starts. So you've got your water boiler. Okay, this is the way the American tanks work. It's different from the Israeli ones. So you have a water boiler and it's full of hot water that has been heated before Shabbos, right? It didn't start getting heated now. Everyone finished their showers already. It's just sitting there and it's hot. Why can't you just open the faucet and let some of it out to wash your hands? So that wouldn't really be a problem except for what's going to happen. When you pull out the water on this end, it's going to draw fresh water in from the intake pipe into the boiler, which is going to be cooked. That cold water is going to be cooked by all the hot water in the tank, even before that tank turns on and the heating element turns on, which will be a new problem. right? So where's your intake valve? Where's your intake pipe? When you're putting out and doing, from where are you drawing the new flow of water? if you don't, you're a bore, you're a pit. you're a reservoir. So you can draw out and you can draw out and you can draw out and then one day you look in and it's empty. Or you could be a bear. We've talked about this. A bear is a well. You draw out water from a well, and that causes more water to be drawn into the well, right unless there's a Severe problem in the surrounding area, there's nothing coming into it, right? But in general, generally speaking, a well doesn't overflow, right? That's that's called a ma'yan, that's not a bear. A well doesn't overflow, it fills up to its natural fill point, to the water level. And when you pull out, the the pulling out itself causes fresh water to come into the well. So Thinking about that, and then reading this paragraph, in life itself you do not gather strength for living, nor in the practice of truth, righteousness, and love do you absorb the recognition and the feeling for truth, righteousness, and love. Accordingly, you should at times tear yourself loose from this existence and strive to renew your strength in life and regain your right and your will for truth, righteousness, and love, as well as the power and courage for victorious battle. You, you need to tap in to where the strength will come from in order to keep it going. That's not a weakness in your actions. That's the nature of them. You're putting out, okay, so, yeah. I think with all of these pieces together, this, this, was the, this is what I was able to learn so far <laughs> from Rav Hirsch. I, I hope you know that we'll be blessed with many years of learning more even about just those little paragraphs that I selected out, because it's very dense, and there's there's so much more that he's hinting to there that I don't know about yet, so I can't even pick up the clues. Um, but if we take that as our fundamental structure, our fundamental concept, which is the goal is to recruit all of the levels of ourself and recruit that to the recognition that it is all po- part of the, all the levels of the world. It, it all becomes one. Me and all the levels of myself, me and all the creation in the world, me and all the events of the world, me all the emotional state. All of this is part of a divine chorus for Hashem, to whom all, that includes me and all those states and all those parts of me belong, and to whom all reach upward to serve. That is making myself the Mizbeach Adama, This is mizbeach adama ta'aseli. Make yourself a mizbeach adama for me. That is the rereading of that, and that's a legitimate rereading of that statement. It's not the pshat, but it's an important outcome of it. Make yourself, you be the mizbeach adama, that every part of you then is now laid on the altar. Right? That was one of the early quotes, right? The individual and the community laid upon God's altar their whole being, their spiritual mission, their past life, their the actions. That's what it, this is what it's all about. But it's mizbe'ah hadama. It's still a, It's coming from the ground, reaching up to Hashem, and therefore it's not about trying to spend all day in that state. This is the reaching up that infuses us and reminds us of what we're doing and why we're doing it and fills us back with the strength and the energy and the enthusiasm and the love to do it. It's what trickles back into and fills back up the wells of our heart and our mind and our physical actions. And from there, we will take steps backward to bring this into practice and so that our practice will be different our feelings our thoughts and our actions will be different after this shemona esrei and then we'll come back for another dose because you can't go too many hours without eating (laughs) You, you have to fill up
1: sir you know it's one thing when i'm praying for something for myself okay this i understand to some extent but right now let's say i'm praying for for that person who is ill and it's really nice to say that after I daven for the person who is ill, I really felt close to Hashem and strengthened. Well, what does that do for that person? It doesn't do anything.
0: Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. Why, why doesn't it do anything for them?
1: Because I've strengthened me, but I haven't strengthened them.
0: If I go to a doctor and the doctor has taken continuing education units, it benefits me. Right. He's a stronger doctor. Okay. But it's good news for me. Right. Okay, well, I'm
1: not this person's doctor. I may mean, have no contact. No, but you're me. trying
0: to you're you're trying to do two things. You're trying to do something for them, right? right? You're saying I don't. I don't have a medicine for you. I don't have, right? But let me say a tefillah for you, and that tefillah will be a merit for you. Okay, so the zechus itself is now something bigger and better, and the person saying it is something bigger and better. Why does that not help them?
1: Okay, so you're saying my davening for that person... By the way, this is, is talking
0: about tefillah. Tefillah means Shmona Esrei. Right. Okay, so it's not... Part of, part of Shmona Esrei will be davening for people, but it'll probably take us a while to get there.
1: Right.
0: <laughs> okay, but we're not, what we're not addressing here... That We spent more time yet last week right. on the topic of how would we relate to the idea of praying for other people and what does that mean? you know i I spent the last few days at a conference on the East Coast,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and it was incredibly intense it was inc- it was wonderful it was very very intense and there was one whole day where from the morning until the night, I was on with that so I gave two presentations, participated in a panel um, met with someone over breakfast, met with a committee over lunch and i I haven't tallied it up but I don't know maybe I coached seven people independently one-on-one maybe maybe more I don't know okay seven are coming to mind when I went upstairs at midnight um, I had to be very quiet because I had someone also sharing the room that was another way to give Um, when I came upstairs it was it was a feeling of awe. I don't know. What else can I say? Like, in the moment, in the moment, in 18 hours or whatever that I was spending in the working zone, so I was focused on other people the whole time. But when I stopped and I came upstairs and I shut the door, all of a sudden, I was overwhelmed with a feeling of what a gift I had been granted. Now, It's not because I'm rejoicing that other people have stress or difficulty or confusion or pain. That doesn't make me happy, right? So when I'm sitting and and teaching or talking to somebody, I'm not. My place is to try and understand what's going on with their life, but be an outside observer also, so that I can kind of, you know, come in with an outside perspective. But after the fact, who got the gift? Me, (laughs) That's, that was a wondrous thing to be able to do. That was really a special thing to be given. So did it build up, me up? For sure it did. For sure it did. But sometimes what builds up and what helps is not about the power of the medication and, and tweaking the dose. Sometimes it's all really unified. It's all one thing. The giving is the getting. The, the getting is the giving. The... Ultimately, when it comes down to it in Shmona Esrei, what we're talking about is ratzon, is will.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And what is my ratzon and what is Hashem's ratzon? And to what extent are they the same? So when I, again, when I recruit my feelings and I recruit my physical life and I recruit my thinking and I bring them into my Shmona Esrei, then the way that looks is in refaenu, it looks like adding Yehi Ratzon right in the middle of my refaenu before I say the bracha. That's my will that I'm now bringing in and saying, I hope it will be Yehi Ratzon, Milfanecha. I hope it will be your will. But basically in Shemona Esray, all those things that I'm davening for, which are the things I really do want, peace and tranquility and salvation and refuah and wisdom and forgiveness, those are all the expressions of Hashem's will that's coming out of my mouth. That's what I'm focused on. That's what I'm doing. The fact that it's also going to come back down into my heart and my mind and my spirit and my actions and it's going to help other people and maybe the zechus of what I'm doing will be a help to them. Maybe the tefillah itself will be. I don't know. It's, it's not going to not, of course it's going to help them. Is it going to have the reaction, the, the, the effect that I would design? No. Maybe. I don't know. That's possibly a good thing. <laughs> Could be a very good thing if not every prayer that I ask for gets answered exactly the way I ask it. So it can't, it's not going to bother me. That's why when we're defining tefillah, it's so important to understand what the real objective is. Because if the real objective of tefillah is to successfully receive that which I ask for, then this is what it's going to sound like. it's going to sound like this. Bless me. Beginning with the savage, kneeling in front of his idol, ending with the the savant, attempting to impart religion to the enlightened. Religion is a product of a feeling of dependence, the sense of utter helplessness, the intuition of existence of a higher being, saying, bless me. I want to receive blessing. Those who say bless me, can they ever find the fulfillment of their prayer? I mean, maybe sometimes, right? That's really what you're asking. Standing alone in impotent isolation, they seek to defy the hostile forest of nature and a destructive society and achieve their own aims and pleasures, even if these be for the good. He's not denying that someone could could ask for blessing that's good, but that's asking for my own aim and my own pleasure. They expect that simply mouthing, bless me, will enable them to do all this. It's like he was looking right into the future. I don't know what they talked about in the 1800s, but certainly in the last 10 years, right? Just put it out into the universe. You heard this one? You haven't been reading enough blogs, clearly, right? People will say, they say it out loud. You hear this just out in the street, right? They said out loud what they wanted, it puts it out into the universe, and that's what makes it come true. Wave your wand, Tinkerbell, right? They expect that simply mouthing bless me will enable them to do all this, that they will gain the courage and strength to pursue these aims. But will this prayer on their lips ensure that they attain what is denied to others who may be beseeching God at the same time for the opposite result? Will this prayer make them succeed where thousands have failed? What leads the Jew to God is not the request bless me, for he understands that his blessing has already been granted. My bracha is all that which I have been given. He realizes that everything, the forces of nature, the workings of history, the highlights, the pleasures, as well as the sorrows of his personal life, are his blessing. That's why you've got to come through Psyche de Zimra before you get to Shema Nasri, right? And Shema. The forces of nature, the workings of history, and the highlights and pleasures, as well as the sorrows of his personal life, are his blessing. He always considers himself blessed in both happiness and grief. The happiness and the grief are the blessings. What motivates him is not to receive blessing, but to dispense blessing. Not Bareich, bless me. Baruch atah, be you blessed. These are the words through which a Jew relates to God. Sarah Lippmann interjecting This is why Shmoneh Esrei, which is this ultimate, is made up of Brachos, Baruch atah. It all comes down to that. The Jew in effect is saying, you have entrusted the fulfillment of your will, the granting of your wishes, the promotion of your kingdom, the implementation of your work to man's free will. It is for this purpose that I am, that I exist. For this purpose you have created me a man and a Jew, a human and a Jew. For this purpose you have granted me, as a man, the energy to act, and you have revealed to me, as a Jew, what you wish to see carried out by us on earth. Being human is having the energy and the capacity. Being Jewish is having the knowledge and the relationship to hear what it is Hashem does want to have done. Every event in nature and history that you are letting me experience, whether grievous or delightful, all that you allow me and whatever you deny me, it is all there to remind me of my mission to revive the strength and resolve within me to fulfill it. My God, it is my wish to discharge my duty. Be blessed in all that you give me and in all that you withhold from me. And the great power, serenity, and joy with which this idea to bless Hashem infuses the heart of every Jew is beyond compare, impossible to describe. That is the truth. I'll send you a copy.
1: Oh, it's a
0: lot that. of... <laughs> I'm still re- I mean, as you can see, I can, I can find it quickly. I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> Some parts I know by heart, but not the whole thing. And even then, I'll only begin to absorb it really properly. But it's true. Okay. Um, I want to take a new piece from Rabbi Leichter. I don't think we've done this, Um, we've talked about an approach, some other pieces from Rabbi Lechter on the approach to tefillah, understanding, starting with a foundation that Hashem is interested in us and what happens to us. We are also interested in us and what happens to us. We're also interested in Hashem and his will. So we have this uh, shared interest and hopefully purpose, and that gives us something to talk about. Chazal characterized prayer as being among things that stand at the height of the world. That's a Gemara in Brachos Rumo shel olam. The rumo shel olam is at the, the peak of the world, which when you have your handy-dandy four-level chart, you see it right up there. Prayer requires us to relate to our requests in a way which is elevated from our material existence. This doesn't mean that we should become detached from our material existence. I'll just remind you of Rav Hirsch's Mizbeach Adama. It can't be detached from the ground. It needs to arise from the ground. It is the ground. On the contrary, in Jewish prayer, we remain firmly rooted in our material existence and the expression of our physical needs. Rather, the point is that when we pray, we should connect our simple lives to a much bigger reality. Judy, I think this fills in what we were bringing from our we start, the starting point is what we are feeling from our own lives. Perhaps something we need, perhaps something we're grateful for. But then expanding from that out to a broader view of the whole world. Other people need to, too, right? We say all of our prayers in schrona s in the plural. I don't say send me wisdom and understanding. Send us wisdom and understanding. Okay, it's bigger than that. In fact, it's so much bigger. Rav Berkowitz says, and I also heard Rabbi Reisman say it, oh dear, now I can't remember. It might have been the Skvera Rebbe, that these are not talking about only us and only Claudius Yisrael. These, these plural tense with very little exception in Shmona Esrei is referring to all people. Very, very little exception to that. And the same is true when you're davening for somebody else. Okay, we're really talking about Shmona Esri, which is not about davening for somebody, although within Shmona Esri, you might do that. But when davening for somebody else, the goal is to go in and be able to feel that person suffering, or if you can't do that, at least you're suffering because they are suffering, or you're concerned. But then to broaden that, that's the eye of the needle. Now you're going to try and leverage and pull that open and include more people in that heart. Rather, the point is that when we pray, we should connect our simple lives to a much bigger reality and know that our needs, however seemingly simple, are part of a cosmic picture that is completely beyond our ken. We should realize that our earthly existence, with all of its earthly needs, actually relates to a lofty realm which is beyond our comprehension. We tend to think that what we request is one thing, and that what Hashem has in mind is something different from what we want. However, the truth is that Hashem is interested in the same things we're interested in, but for much deeper reasons. Okay, you see how this is building on what we brought from him before about sharing an interest, and he real, trusting in the fact and taking um, reassurance in the fact and working on the basis that Hashem is interested in me and what happens to me and what I care about and how I feel. But also we need to realize that it's for much deeper reasons than anything we can comprehend. Because he is able to feel with us much more than we're able. You know, we can empathize sometimes. Sometimes we can deeply empathize. Mm-hmm. God is much better at that than we are. <laughs> and his, his understanding of us and our needs and our feelings and of the entire world and how it affects everything is much greater than, than we have than our understanding. For example, when we pray for our livelihood, Hashem is definitely interested in us having enough sustenance, but there are many more realms included in us receiving the livelihood which we requested. How will this fulfillment of the request affect us, and what will we do with it? For example, when Hannah prayed to have a child, she wanted the child for personal, maternal reasons too. But when she envisioned having the child, if you look at her prayer, because the tefillah, right, is the expression of that, starting with our physical, staying attached to the physical, but broadening it. When she davened for it, she envisioned having the child, she saw the whole future of Qal Yisrael. Everything that this long-awaited son would achieve, Sha'ul, David, all these much more significant outcomes were inherent to her request. If we cannot see further than the satisfying of our needs, if we see only the perspective of the request, then our prayer will never amount to more than an attempt to manipulate Hashem's hand into giving us what we want. That's uh, I think what Rabbi Kellerman calls is God your vending machine, right? Like you put the money in and the cola comes out, or you have to kick it a little till the cola comes out. Our prayer will be confined to nothing more than another form of histadlus effort. Our rationale being that the more desperately we make our requests, the greater the chance the requests will be met. However, if we can elevate ourselves to look beyond our narrow perspective, we'll be able to see that included in prayer is the definitive knowledge that Hashem is concerned about our good. Furthermore, if we relate to prayer merely as a means for the fulfillment of our requests, this itself causes distraction. It hinders our ability to concentrate on prayer. This part I think we read, right? Because in the moment of davening, it will be difficult to turn away from thoughts of hishtablos and what else we need to do. Our preoccupation with resolving our problems and satisfying our needs will prompt us to think about more options and solutions available to us, and then we become a sad irony, because at precisely the moment we're trying to connect to Hashem, we are distancing ourselves from Him. Mm -hmm. If we pray in the manner suggested above, there's no room for distractions, because there is certainty that Hashem takes personal interest in us and will do what is good for us in ways that are recognizable or sometimes in ways that are concealed. So as we begin to pray, we can calmly let go of our considerations of what we think needs to be done because we understand that our requests are Hashem's business and not merely our own. We can be peaceful in the knowledge that we we can leave matters to Him. He will take care of everything. Often we exert so much effort in pursuing our needs, all the while maintaining that we are and should be doing our best and shouldering the burden on our own. But ultimately, Hashem is the one who sustains all living creatures and carries all their burdens. As the verse states, I created you and I shall bear you. We need only to unload our burden and let Hashem take care of things. In truth, genuine prayer also encompasses the standpoint of Hashem, whose desire is to do what is best for us. Our personal lives encompass both our standpoint and that of Hashem. And this this ultimately explains that incredible way that Shemona Esrei is written so that our own words and our own prayers are an expression of God's will at the same time, in the same words. Our challenge is not only to express our perspective, but also to relate to His perspective. When we pray, we encounter Hashem face to face, so to speak, an encounter founded on a shared concern for our good, if what we consider to be good is not really good for us, and ultimately Hashem is the one who knows best, our request may not be fulfilled. But our task is to recognize that Hashem wants only our good. The rot zone is only our good. Therefore, the reality is only our good. If I knew what Hashem knew, I would be choosing whatever the reality is. That is quite comparable to Rav Hirsch's I already have the blessing. It's not that I'm looking for blessing. I understand that what you have given me is the blessing. Mm -hmm. Our task is to recognize that Hashem wants only our good and therefore any outcome of our prayer is included in our prayer. Because we are including Hashem's view in our prayer, it is certain that what we're praying for is in our best interest because Hashem wants what is best for us and He will ensure that it happens. This way of praying requires us to develop a broader picture, a more cosmic view, one that is not only preoccupied with having our needs met. I'm going to read another piece from Reversh here. This is from his commentary on, well, it's partial shalach, but it's in Shema. It is quite a different matter if God and His Torah form the fundamental basis of all our acts, the starting point of all our considerations, thoughts, and judgments. So this becomes the trickle-down.
1: Right?
0: If we look on our whole being with heart and eye in the service of a higher one, subordinate the wishes and dislikes of our hearts to his wishes and dislikes. I'm not sure the word subordinate is the ideal translation word there. Uh, sublimate might be closer, meaning they're, they're melding together. It's not that one is disappearing. It's that they become indistinguishable. Then we feel at one with God, and we no longer feel that power and greatness lie in satisfying our sense, our senses or dictates of our minds, but in the exertion of our moral will, which will we have absorbed into the will of God. And with God, we feel our own strength and power over our own world, while without Him, the most gigantic force in our world shrinks to pygmy-like nothingness. And just as our wishes and dislikes, so also are our fears and hopes completely transformed when in place of being in the service of our hearts and eyes, we enter the service of God. I think that ultimately, these, these, two, <laughs> these two teachers, right, Rav Hirsch and rev who I think is base, basing on the Nefesh HaChayim, are, um, I was going to say, the appropriate introduction to Shemona, that, that is Shemona And that is the whole of Shemona Esrei. And in HaShem, we will start to then break it down into the separate pieces. But that is the whole. Um, that is the whole. I want to conclude with one more passage. This is a different commentary of reverse on the Haftar of Parshas Noach. It's also the Parshas Kisisa, which is when I saw it. And we talked about it a little bit on Shabbos then. The pasuk says, All of your children will be students of Hashem, are educated in God, and much peace to your children. But for the fulfillment of duty, the mere goodwill, in itself blind, is not sufficient. To the will, knowledge must come, the knowledge of what is right, of good and evil. But the ideas of man as to good and evil change according to times and nations. I mean, certainly, within our own lives, you see how quickly the idea of what's called good and what's called evil, what's called, you know, appropriate behavior, or how you what's called tolerance versus I mean, everything changes so quickly. And that is um, there is sorry, according to times and Nations, there is only one everlasting source of the knowledge of good and evil, and that is God and what He has revealed to us in his Torah, only when all of us and that depends solely on our own free decision, our limude Hashem, pupils of God. Go to God's school. Our whole nation becomes God's pupils. Only then, but then, immediately and forever, is our salvation and happiness ensured. So this, being, being Hashem's pupil, which means seeking to... Do you have enough room to get through? I moved the table over earlier and didn't realize. Becoming a student of Hashem, meaning seeking to learn, to understand from Hashem and His Torah what is good, what is right, what is wrong, what is evil, what we should do, what we shouldn't, what is ratzon?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That is the bridge to eternity. Right? Only then, but then immediately and forever is our salvation and happiness ensured. And this is where we reach the state of atzilus, nearness. We become adjacent and touching to eternity and oneness and perfection and salvation and is very appropriate description of all that we describe, we desc- the world we describe in Shemona Esreit. You don't think of it as that. We think of it as requests. But if you think of Shmona Esri as describing the, the eternal Ratzon for the world, that is a world of redemption. That is the description of Ratzon Hashem and our Bakashos in Shmona Esri. So we'll, we'll stop here for today. And... Uh, <laughs> we'll continue. You can hang out here, right? I think I have a ways to go to
1: understand a lot of this. I think we
0: all do. It's <laughs> this is an avoda. We're we're working right. on it at least once a day as women, right? Maybe three times a day in Kipper five times a day. Right. And then it, and then we're still working on it in our actions and in our thoughts and in our deeds and in our of course. Well, I thought I was making progress, but now
1: I'm hearing what you're saying. I'm thinking, well, I, I'm still asking for requests for people who are sick for people. We are
0: ask. meant to ask. We're meant to ask. But in our asking, we broaden our vision of what we're asking and we broaden our understanding of, of God's will as being much bigger than what we can understand. So what
1: I should be saying, if this is your will, I would like yes. this person to Yes,
0: yes, yes, yes. If this is good. This is the, the principle of adding at the end of a prayer, She yes. libenu May you fulfill the requests of our hearts for the good. Really, none of us. It doesn't. We don't need to be very far along the path to realize that if it isn't for the good, then please ignore the previous, (laughs) the previous email. Right? Like,
1: and I'm sure we've all had experiences. I certainly I have. Where things that look really bleak turn out to be the the turning point that changed everything. It's just
0: that we don't usually get to see that. We get little glimpses of it, which help us visualize and remember that that can be true. But we don't always get to see it. Often it's concealed. It is concealed from us. That's okay though. We can deal with that as long as we remember it. If we remember that that's true, that's cool. That's good. The problem is when we forget, we forget it. We need to be reminded. So we remind ourselves. But this is an entire turnaround of everything. May you be blessed through me. It's everything. It's everything. But you could build a whole life on it.
1: Uh, there's several, several people I've been diving for for a long time. i with with things that has, the, the brachos that Hashem is has giving me are phenomenal. I, I don't even know why. Right, I'm, we
0: don't look at someone else and say, uh, well, their brachos are good; they don't have a problem, because that's not. We're supposed to be feeling their pain, for sure.
1: That's the problem. I've known many people, and, and my list of for for uh, refu has gotten shorter because unfortunately people have not survived. In spite of the fact that I daven for them. That's right. But but
0: surely we know, surely we know that when we daven for someone, they may live only a moment longer and they may live a century longer, but we weren't expecting them to live forever. So it cannot be that what we were asking for was only that they live. We may have only thought of that, and that's part of broadening and enriching, our, our davening and our request and our, and our understanding. You know, it, it causes us, I think, to be more sensitive to the pain of other people, not less. Mm-hmm. It's not that we're saying, you know, <laughs> I think it's Rav soul Salanta, right? Your gashmius is my ruchnias, right? So for me to say, look, this isn't the important thing, Hashem, but, you know, I'll give you... <laughs> I've seen this in a million different places. I happened to come across an example of it recently. But you know, people who go into, uh, it's not nice to name the field. Certain fields have a tendency that people have control over a lot of money. They make a lot of money, but more than that, they're also controlling a lot of money. When someone controls a lot of money, it's a very difficult not to think that you are more wise, more powerful, more understanding than everybody else. It's very, very difficult. You know, everyone jokes about like the, yeah, the tests of wealth, it's okay, I'm willing to give it a shot, you know, like not necessarily. The kind of gaiva that comes out of some kinds of wealth is horrifying. It wouldn't be worth living for that. I mean hopefully the person will grow and and develop and they have other things and you know, I'm not I don't mean to flatten people, but occasionally you see behavior or you see ways of thinking that destroy the people around them. Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Here's the money for this project. Now you do that. And people who feel manipulated, unable to do differently because they're so afraid it will dry up, who are, you know, bowing down, nodding their heads yes, even though they don't agree. And and this person feels, look how wonderful I am. Look how charitable I am. Look how much I've done for all these little people who never would have managed to do anything for themselves if I hadn't come along and shown them the way and funded it. You know what? It's not worth being rich for that. It's really not. Now, how do you say that if you're having trouble finding food to put on the table? I don't know. Right? But there, there is a, an... We have a lot of blessing. And it's not that we don't ask Hashem for what we need, but we ask it as, here's what I think I need. It's mizbeach adama, I'm trying to rise up to serve you. That's hard when you're hungry. You really become limited in what you can do. Maybe that's the avoda, maybe that is where you're going to grow. I hope, you know, I hope we don't have to do that. We do grow a lot from suffering, we do grow a lot from pain, where at least we have the opportunity to, but we don't, we don't wish for that. What we wish for is Hashem should give to us, but it can't end there. It's only if what he gives to us is for us to use in his service that it has any meaning at all to ask for anything. If I'm asking for the money so that I will have a house to live in, so that I will have a place to sleep and re- pull myself together, so that in my home will be my children, my family, my friends, people in need. If that's what the house is for, that's, that's a good rec- right. Like that's. Yes, I think I need that. If you think I don't, then I don't. Because what am I here for? Meaning if everything that I'm asking for is it for my pleasure, that's bless me. If everything I'm asking for is what I think I need to be able to do the job right to perform your will, that's may you be blessed. That's not bless me. That's me going to the boss and saying we're out of Staples. We're out of, you know, there's no more ink in the pens. Would it be okay if I run down to Home Depot and pick up, you know, or <laughs> Office Depot and pick up some more s- supplies? And the boss says, yeah, here's the company credit card. Go stock up. That's not bless me, right? That's not. If I have a footstool under my desk and my back doesn't hurt so much and I can concentrate better when I'm working, then when I go, you know, ask the oh, the, the person who's in charge of, of providing the needs, you know, could I have a... <laughs> you know, you go to Cedars and they're checking you in for something and they have an ergonomic keyboard for the person sitting there. It's not because they got a bonus and they wanted to reward them. It's because they'll work better. And especially if you're a hospital, it's pretty, you feel pretty stupid if you have all these like, carpal tunnel injuries from repetitive stress in your own employees because you haven't provided them, right? Meaning yeah, you, you provide your workers with what they need to do the job. That's in the boss's best interests. Right. When I am Hashem's worker, he provides me with what I need to do the job. So I put effort into understanding what the job is so I can figure it out. I look at the tools he's given me because I understand that he will provide me with the tools I need to do the job. Maybe I've misunderstood the job he wants me to do. I will keep trying to understand what he wants me to do based on the tools he's given me. If I see I'm missing tools, I'll ask for them. But if I don't get them, then I understand it. Could be I misunderstood exactly what job he wanted me to do. Because if he didn't, if, if, if he wanted me to do something, he's not going to leave me without the tools to do it. It's his will. He'll get it done. That's this other paragraph, right? We didn't read it today, but I don't know. You've heard it 10 or 20 or 30 times before. However, to say may God be blessed through me means that one's work is no longer his own doing. At the same time, one is not trying to gain his own ends. This is not for my pleasure. This is for my job. His status may be ever so humble. His beginnings may well be ridiculed by others, but he has been assigned to his post by God, the master of heaven and earth, the king of the universe. God knows a man's strength. God's spirit animates him. And he has placed him within the particular context of his occupation so that he may perform his will there and then. God, Man is Hashem's worker. And consequently, he has God at his side always. Oh. It's his job. He will provide the strength. He will provide the tools. It's his work that I'm doing. He fights the struggle against nature and society for him. Meaning Hashem fights the struggle for him. God is man's shield and protector. It is before God, not man, that the entire hostile world will retreat. Renounce your will for the sake of his will so that he may nullify the will of others before your will. Blessed be you, Hashem. May your work be implemented through me. This is the Jewish call to arms in the ceaseless struggle of life. May God be blessed through me means that one has reached the goal of his desire and can remain there at every moment. You already have the bracha when you feel that that's what you want. When you get to the moment of feeling, Hashem, I want you to be blessed through me. I don't want to be just one of these people who's like on the outside. (coughs) I want a job in your corporation. I want to be part of this. Trust me with some of it. I'll do my best to do a good job. Then when you get the job, you, you already got the bracha. Every moment. Provided one has done his share in fulfilling God's will, provided he, had made, he has made use of it with all the strength granted him in service of his master, every such moment then represents the summit of man's aspirations. Whether one has much or little is immaterial. That doesn't determine the measure of his blessing, nor even whether his exertions have been successful. Meaning whether or not you have a lot or a little has no, is not an indicator of your success. For success, too, is God's, not his. Maybe the job was to make a certain effort that doesn't appear to succeed because we don't understand how it's meant to play out down the line. So I can't tell. Maybe that was a successful execution. <laughs> maybe that's what it was. Maybe that's actually what was required. And, and that for us is a comfort, meaning if it did, when we can say, well, if it didn't work out, it wasn't meant to be. Sometimes that's just like people just saying it. But if you've made the effort and the reason you made the effort was because you believed it was God's will that you do this and it was God's work that you were performing and it was his strength that he was putting into you to do it and his money and his tools and his time and his grace and his favor in the eyes of others that he was pushing through to make this happen, then if that's as far as he wanted it to go, then you say, oh, that's unexpected. All right. What's next? You really can't, you really do feel. I guess if that's how far it went, it was meant to go. As long as one can say to himself that he has dedicated himself with all his might to fulfilling God's will, if to do so is his only and exclusive wish, which we are not quite there yet ourselves, maybe, in every moment, but we are, we do have the capacity to reach that, if only briefly that kind of perfection of thought, we can reach it if only briefly. And the more often we reach it only briefly, the more it fills and permeates our day. If to do so is his only and exclusive wish, then surely, even when God gathers you to him in the last moment of your life, he will leave you fulfilled and serene and contented in the knowledge that you have lived not in order to receive blessing, but to give blessing. Hmm.
1: That's really nice. so we
0: hope when that. you see it that way, really what more could you hope for? <laughs> what an awful thing if someone would have on their tombstone he lived to receive blessing. And how glorious if they will say about us she lived to give blessing. <laughs> I
1: like
0: that. I do too. I found this CD in my... Uh, mm-hmm.
1: in my uh, uh, cool in my house. So Hello.